again, Deuteronomy chapter 10. As I mentioned uh, in prayer, we, we, we see a pattern here. We, we, again, we know that the Lord's preparing that second generation to go into the promised land. That first generation that doubted that God would give them Canaan has, for the most part, passed away. And the second generation that he said would inherit the land is getting ready to go in there. And, you know, Deuteronomy means second law, a repeating of the law. He's, he's giving the law again to this next generation, as we've been called to absolutely give God's word to the next generation. And that's, that's what this is part in part for, you know, to, to meet these kids where they are and to give them the word of God. Each generation has a responsibility to give the word of God to the next. And that's what's going on. And remember, there's been some reiteration of things that have gone on, God's faithfulness to them. God's talked about mistakes they made. You want to learn from those mistakes. In fact, these things are even written for our example that we will learn from the good and from the bad. And now the Lord is really just really encouraging them. And it's, it's, it's interesting. There's several chapters in a row where he just really encourages them to, to go in to that promised land with faith, to go into that promised land with a fear of the Lord, with a heart to honor God's word and to love the Lord. And he says, listen, it will go well with you. And so we see encouragement tonight to do that, exhortation to do that, along with, you know what, uh, uh, promises of, of the blessings that come from obedience in these chapters. And then soon we'll actually get into the reiteration of the law, plus, you know, more of it that the Lord had, uh, you know, what, given to them as now they were specifically going in. And there, there's so many, like, applicable things there to our lives and truths there. And, and uh, Lord willing, we'll get into that down the road. But let's start here in chapter 10 tonight. It says, at that time, the Lord said to me, hew for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain, excuse me, and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke when you put them in the ark. So Moses is still talking to them about past events. Again, not just to waste, you know, ink on paper, but to teach them and so forth. And he's talking about when he had gone up to Sinai and he got the tablets, the Ten Commandments on those. And remember when he was uh, up there, uh, all of a sudden there was noise in the camp. And Joshua, who was about halfway up the mountain, who had gone up there with Moses as an assistant, you know, says there's, there's noise in the camp. And it almost sounds like there's a war in the camp. And then the Lord says, you need to get down there because these people had made themselves an idol and, and they've turned their back on me. And Moses started down, and when he saw what was going on, when he saw the party, he took the tablets and he threw them down and he broke them. And so he's saying that that uh, after they were they were broke, or the Lord's saying after you broke them, uh, now you got to make a new set of them, and you got to uh, you know what, take care of them. And uh, you know what, I think a couple things here for us is we want to be careful not to allow other people sin to cause us to break things. Not that we can blame them because ultimately Moses is the one that threw them down and God never said, Moses, throw down the tablets. You ever think about that? I mean, he just threw them down and, and he broke them. And I think there's truth there because, you know, he, and the Lord says, you broke them and now you got to fix them. Amen. Now you got to make two more and they got to be fixed. The beautiful thing is God 
said, I'll help you with it. And I think that's awesome. Because he says, you bring them up here and I'll ride on them. And uh, aren't you glad that when we break things, that God to be fixed, God wants to help us do that. And uh, he's always faithful to do it. I think at the same time with this, again, uh, Moses allowed the shock of their sin to move him to, to throw those down. And, you know, I was thinking about this, how at times we'll allow other people's sin to affect us uh, in ways that it shouldn't. I think absolutely we should grieve over sin. I think we should pray over, you know, sin. We should ask for forgiveness if it's not sin leading to death. First John talks about that. Uh, you know, Bible talks about weeping and lamenting and mourning. Uh, you know what? I think, you know, over uh, the nation's sins and our own sins and so forth. But I think sometimes other people's sins can cause us to take a step too far. And I think with Moses throwing him down, God never told him to do that. He says, you got to make it down. I was thinking about, though, raising kids. And um, I got two graduated now, but two more to go. But just thinking about this, I talk to parents at times how if there's a child that's just unruly and so forth, and they'll say, hey, you know what, I'm doing the biblical things. What do I do now? I'm like, keep, keep doing the biblical things. It's a process. But how many times those are like a rebellious child you know, the family's getting ready to go somewhere, and then this kid starts acting up, and it brings a cloud on the whole house. And now all of a sudden, everyone's, everyone's upset, and everyone's sad, and everyone's downtrodden, and you had to discipline the kid, and it just ruins the night. You know, it shouldn't be that way. That's allowing sin, you know, to come in and rule over the home. Uh, even in other areas where, you know, maybe someone in the workplace or, you know, uh, uh, another person's issue and so forth. Uh, again, we should pray for them and, and so forth, but we want to be careful to have that balance between lamenting and reacting and overreacting and allowing our joy to be taken away. And I especially just thought about the kids because it was like Moses was the dad and these were the kids and he came down and I started like, you know, and in Jesus' name, I'm going to start breaking stuff and whatnot. And now, Lord, now you got to fix it because you broke it. But again, praise God, I'm going to help you do it. So... And then he says, take it and, and, and put it in an ark. And verse 3 says, so I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed of two tablets of stone like the first, and went up to the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord has spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Boy, what an awesome scene that much of it must have been. He takes the tablets up there and the Lord writes on them with his hand. And, you know, we go, oh, wow, that's awesome. The Lord wrote on him. And I wonder what he wrote. We know what he wrote. He's preserved it for us. What an awesome thing that is. In verse 5, he says, Then I turned and came down from the mountain, uh, put the tablets in the ark which I had made, and there they are just as the Lord commanded me. Now, the ark that he's referring to is the ark of the covenant. And the Lord had already given instruction to build this uh, ark. Actually, uh, around the same time he gave the instruction, uh, it was made, uh, you know, it, it, it would eventually, the ark would be in the, the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, and then it would be in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And remember, uh, the Ten Commandments would end up in it, uh, a jar of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. Uh, eventually, the Ten Commandments, it seems, are the only thing that would survive being in it through all of the rigmarole that Israel put it through. But I think greater than that on top of it was the mercy seat uh, on, on the Ark of the Covenant. 
And it was that place when the high priest would come in with that sacrifice for the sins of the people once a year, the Lord would meet meet with them on the mercy seat. And listen, if it wasn't for the mercy seat, those Ten Commandments in that ark would damn that priest and every single one of us to hell forever because we transgressed God's law. But, uh, you know, the Lord showed grace and mercy as they were coming, saying, I know, we know that we're sinners, and so we, we're asking for our sin to be taken off us and, and to, put on, to be put on one without spot or blemish. And we know that that was, again, eventually filled, fulfilled in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad for the mercy seat tonight? And that through grace, we can go to the Holy of Holies. And we're encouraged to go to the Holy of Holies uh, always. And we can go boldly through the shed blood of the Lord uh, to attain to the throne of grace, to attain mercy in our time of need. We read that in the book of Hebrews. And this is a picture of that. It's a picture of the Lord. It's a picture of his grace, his mercy, his long-suffering. I mean, look how long-suffering God is with them. And he was long-suffering with them for us, and he's long-suffering with us. I mean, he delivers them out of Egypt. Moses goes up the hill. He's barely gone, like, oh, we don't happen with this guy. And they, they start a pagan party down here. And then, you know, Moses, all intercede for him. And he's, like, throwing stuff and hitting stuff. I mean, God is just so patient and good and loving. And indeed, it's his, his grace and mercy that saves us and, and that and that alone. Verse 6, it says, Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Bina, Jekka, Jekin, and uh, Morasah, where Aaron died and where he was buried. And Eleazar, his son, ministered as a priest in his stead. From there, they journeyed to Gugada, and from Gugada to uh, Jabatha, a land of rivers of water. At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to... Uh, to beat the ark of the covenant, uh, to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is in his inheritance, and the Lord, uh, just as the Lord your God promised him. And so again, this is just, just a, a, a refolding and a re, you know, an accounting of things as they unfolded, how the ark came to be. And then, again, how the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to be priests for the people and to intercede for the people. And notice there's instruction that they had. Uh, He separated them. They bore the ark. They stood before the Lord to minister to him, to bless him. They had no portion of the inheritance of the brothers in the sense of earthly inheritance. Uh, But but, uh, you know what? Really, their inheritance was the Lord himself. And we think about our lives, and, and I always marvel at Revelation 1, uh, verse 6, because it says in Christ, he's made us kings and priests to his God and Father. You guys realize that tonight? In Christ, you're called, we are called kings and priests. Um, yeah, and I think so many times, you know, we don't really take up those mantles. I don't think we really fully get that or understand that. It, it's, you know what? Uh, in many ways beyond us, but I think what we do need to know is that, you know, calling us kings, it, it means we're royal people through, again, relationship with Christ. And it's telling us, too, that we have a role of ministry uh, as priests to the Lord. And as those priests were separated, the Bible's called us to be separate, to be in the world but not of the world. We talked a little bit about that on Sunday, 
2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch which is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And if you want to have a closer relationship with God the Father, listen, all the more come out from the world. Amen. Get your hands off the things that God doesn't want your hands on. And he says, I'll be like a father to you, and, and you'll be like sons and daughters to me. Think about the prodigal son when he said, I want to go do my own thing. Did he ever cease being the, the, the father's son? No. But the farther he got out there, listen, the more that it hurt his relationship with his dad as he got his hands on those things that came with prodigal living. But when he finally said, I'm ready to put these things down and go back home, the father waited for him with a robe and a ring. And then it was like a real relationship again. And I think there's times when our relationship with God is suffering because we don't want to come out from the world. We want to touch what's unclean and make provision for it. And whenever we do that, it's, it's going to disrupt our walk with the Lord uh, make no mistake, Proverbs says, if you sow iniquity, you'll reap sorrow. And there's a great joy that comes from that deep fellowship with God. And uh, nothing can quench it faster when we go willfully start getting our hands dirty. Sometimes you just get dirty, right? It's a fallen world. Sometimes you, you just step in it, and other times you find yourself wallowing in it, you know. Uh, praise God for his faithfulness to us and all of it. But I just encourage you tonight that if there's areas you know you need to you need to get some distance between you uh, and, and it from and uh, things you know that God is calling you out of. Uh, heed the Lord's voice. Uh, you'll be the better off for it. Uh, he also tells them to, again, uh, to bear the Ark of the Covenant, which was, again, a picture of the gospel in many ways without mercy seat. And we know that we as priests have been called to, to, to bear the call of taking the new covenant, the gospel, out to the world. Uh, I love this because he says about them, they are to stand before the Lord to minister to him and bless his name. And uh, that's something that I think the church has lost sight of in so many ways, uh, especially in the West where it seems like everything's about us. And, you know, it seems like most folks are most interested in them being ministered to. How am I ministered to? How are you going to minister to me? And yet these priests, what did they do? They were called to minister to the Lord first. Even in the book of Acts, it talks about when they were ministering to the Lord, God told them to separate Paul and Barnabas. They prayed, laid hands on them for a, you know, an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we got to remember that, listen, our first ministry, like these Levites, is to the Lord, to minister to him, to bless his name. Remember to love the Lord our God, the heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, that's the first commandment. And so I ask you tonight, how have you been ministering to the Lord? Is it just, Lord, minister to me, but are you ministering to him? Are you worshiping him? Are you, you know, he's ministered to when we just dine with him, when we open his word and fellowship with him, when, it, when we cry out to him, when we, again, uh, lift up his name. And I would hope all of us would recognize we have that call that, again, we minister to him, we bless him. And uh, again, with these Levites, they had no portion or inheritance here on earth, and, and neither do we. And, uh, you know, before we prayed tonight, I made a joke about the time machine that someone talked about getting into the rapture and getting out of here. And listen, that day is going to come where we are going to go to be with the Lord. And, and these things here, they're going to be they're going to be left behind. And our inheritance is his is him. And we're his inheritance. And listen, the things that are eternal, are the things that you can't see are men's souls. Verse 10, it says, as at the first time I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord also heard me at that time. 
and the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore uh, to their fathers to give them. Another picture of Jesus in chapter 10. Um, the Lord did want to destroy them because of their sin. And remember, Moses, Moses intercede, interceded for them. And the Lord heard the prayer of Moses. And then, as Moses said, the Lord chose not to destroy you. And it's a picture of Moses being a type of Christ. The Lord is our, inter- is our intercessor. And he shed his blood for us. And he's interceding for us right now. And it's through him and him alone that spares us from destruction. There's nothing else. But it's just amazing how many people don't get that. How many people (laughs) think think it's, you know, a a church or it's it's the keeping of a law or something. It's him and him alone and faith in him and him alone that saves us. Because outside of him and him alone, we are found sinners. We are found wanting. We fall short. But praise God, he intercedes for us when we simply call on his name and we put genuine faith in him to be our Lord. And so from there... Lord said, arise, it's time to get going on your journey. And, uh, you know, there's been 10 chapters of talking here. It says, now it's time to get up and get going. And absolutely, there's a time for planning, a time of talking, a time for reading, a time for praying. And there's a time you got to get up and you got to get going. And, and you, you, you got to get moving. And maybe that's a word for someone here tonight. It's time to get up and get moving and what God's called you to get up and to be doing. Verse 12, it says, and now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today, notice here, for your good. It's interesting when we start talking about what the Lord requires of us. People always go to Micah 6, 8 which they should. It says, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. But we see here in uh, Deuteronomy, it says, well, this is what the Lord's required of you, to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love the Lord, to serve him. And really, listen, these are, it, it, it's the same thing being said just in different ways. Listen, you can only walk with the Lord uh, if, if you got a humble heart, you can only walk with the Lord if, if, if you're going to walk, you know, justly uh, to, 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 to love mercy. God is merciful. You know, the Lord's going to go walk with someone that's ruthless. Um, you know, is he going to walk with someone that fears man and doesn't fear him? Someone that doesn't love him? He's patient with us. And again, we can be Christians that can fall into these patterns and we're still saved by grace through faith in the Lord. But uh, that doesn't mean the Lord's walking with us in everything that we're about and what we're doing. We, we know he won't leave us. Again, he's faithful to us when we're faithless. But this idea of walking with the Lord uh, is an idea of walking in conjunction with him, to be equally yoked with him. And he tells him here, listen, uh, this is what God requires of you. This is, you know, do these things. And it, it basically says, do these things and it will go well with you. It will be for your good. Number one, he says, fear the Lord. Have reverence for God. Really, fear of the Lord is a faith that affects the way that you live your life based on knowing that God is true to his word. Based on knowing that if I want to walk in my own way, the Lord will chasten me. And based on the truth, if I walk 
you know, and in the call that God has for me, there's going to be life there. There's going to be fruits of the Holy Spirit there. And I believe that and it affects my life. And the fear of the Lord is seen in my actions. To say we fear the, fear the Lord, but we go do what we want to do shows that that's not the case at all. And then again, he tells them to walk in all his ways. Notice not walk in part of his ways, but in all of them. And if you want to walk in his ways, it starts by fearing the Lord. You know, we walk in his ways by fearing him. And then he says, love the Lord. And the way we love the Lord is by serving him with all our heart. And as he says here, keep his commandments. And we say, oh, I love the Lord. Oh, he really loves the Lord. He doesn't honor God's commandments. Doesn't really care less about that. Oh, but he really loves the Lord. You hear a lot of that today, don't you? Oh, that's a good-hearted guy. He, you know, he really loves the Lord. Yeah, you know what? Uh, you know, he, 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 he does his own thing. And he's, you know, he pilfers from work a little bit. And, you know, he, he, yeah, he lies a lot. But, oh, he's a good-hearted guy. He really loves the Lord. The Bible says, if you love the Lord, you keep his commandments. I mean, we do that with ourselves. I really love the Lord, but is that going by a feeling? I mean, and, and no doubt we can love him, but not be loving him. But we want to be found not just saying, I love you, Lord, but I'm loving the Lord. And again, in all of it, he says, do what I command you. It's for your good. There's blessings found in this. Verse 14, he says, indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that's in it. The Lord delighted uh, only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. And again, this is an encouragement. Uh, you know what? He is the, the God above all gods. He's higher than the highest heavens. And, you know, this is being said in the context, you're going to go into Canaan and there's going to be a lot of other gods there. A lot of temptations. But you've got to remember that this is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He is the highest above all the heavens. He is the God that gave life to these little gods that aren't God at all. And a reminder to them that, you know what, you're serving the great God. And then a reminder that God chose their fathers, made a covenant with them, that they would be blessed. And it wasn't just about them. Remember, God separated Israel so all the families of the earth would be blessed. So he says, knowing this, listen, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Lay down your stubbornness. Cut out the sin of your heart that you could walk with him. Verse 17, then the Lord, your God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So again, God's just. God had been just with them. God had been good to them. He says, when you go in, be good to strangers. You were once one yourself. And remember, again, in doing this, you're going to walk in communion with, this, with God who is mighty, who is awesome, who shows no partiality. Don't be thinking that, well, you know what? He was good to our fathers and us. He'll show partiality as we can go do what we want to do. He's saying that's not the case. He doesn't take a bribe. And uh, I hear a lot of people that, you know, they think God takes a bribe. And they'll start, oh, yeah, me and God, we got a deal. And I made a deal with God. 
I was watching a thing the other day. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. He's an actor. And uh, he's, he's been in a bunch of like gangster movies. Um, oh man, I wish I could think of his name right now. And uh, he's talking about, he was a, a cholo and how he used to deal drugs and everything and got this position. And he said, like, God, if you just get me out of this, I'll, I'll, I'll do good. And uh, I'll always speak good about you. Uh, he doesn't know Jesus, nothing like that. And uh, you know what? He says, me and God, we got this deal and it's still going on. And it's like, you know, you, you think you might have a deal, but God doesn't take a bribe. I would think that, you know, his life's been better since then just because he quit gangbanging. Things usually go up a notch when you quit dealing drugs and using drugs and doing it. it generally, things get better. I don't know if you go about it the wrong way and you don't call on the Lord, it might get worse. But, you know, he was blessed in that. But going on this big thing, and I, we got, you know, we got a deal. And the whole interview is about how we got a deal. And God will make that deal with you. And it's like, buddy, God doesn't take bribes. You got to get covered by the blood. There's not going to be any partiality. I'm going to be partiality because you grew up supposedly, you know, in a hardened place and were done wrong. Welcome to the world, son. That happens everywhere. You think that those effects are limited to certain ethnicities and areas and so forth? Listen, ugly comes in every single shade. Sin comes in every single, you know what, color that's out there. And so again, he's encouraging them to walk according to God's commands and, and you know what, God's gospel. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven uh, in multitude. And so again, he starts you know, at the chapter with fear the Lord, he ends it with fear the Lord. And I love it. He says, hold fast to the Lord. Because boy, there's going to be a lot of things that want to shake up your walk with the Lord. Have you found that? There's a lot of things that are calling you to let go of the Lord and put your hands over here. And he says, be determined, hold fast to the Lord. And I love verse 21. He's your praise and he's your God. I mean, how many things do we praise above them and we talk about? I encourage you to take inventory at times of what comes out of your mouth, what you talk about all the time. Are you giving praise to God? Are you giving glory to God? Are you giving honor to him? Or is it something, well, you know what? I know the Lord, but, but I praise other things. He's our praise tonight. And then he closes again this thought with the truth that they were 70 persons when they went down to Egypt. And no doubt, again, they were enslaved there, but they came back a great multitude. God even used that for great good. And then verse, or chapter 11, he says, Therefore, you shall love the Lord, your, the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. So again, knowing that God's been good to you, knowing that God has seen you through. Therefore, listen, we have all the reason to love the Lord because he's good to us. And he says, love him by, again, keeping his charge, his statutes, his judgments, his commandments, always. That's how we love the Lord. Not by, well, I got a feeling. Verse 2. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known, who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness, and his mighty hand and outstretched arm, 
his signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land, what he did to the uh, uh, to all his land, what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, what he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and uh, Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all their substance, which was in their possessions in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord, which he did. So he says, listen, I'm speaking to you. You saw the Red Sea split. and You saw me swallow up the Egyptian army. You saw me chasing you. You saw me provide for you in the wilderness. You saw the earth open up and swallow those sons of Reuben and Korah when they are in rebellion. He's basically saying, you have seen much and given much. There's much required of you. I'm talking to you. And we got to know as we come to the Lord and we begin to grow in him, God calls us to maturity. And I think sometimes we want to make excuses in our rebellions and shortcomings and so forth. And there comes a time when we got to recognize, listen, I've been given much. There's a responsibility upon me to be about the business of God. The more that I learn, the more that I take in, the more I'm going to give an account for. And that's what he's saying to them. He says, your eyes haven't seen these things. You've seen them, and now I'm speaking to you. It's time to walk with me and abound in me. And it would be up to them then from there to teach it to their kids. In fact, he gets into that here in a second. Verse 8, he says, therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you this day, that you may be strong and go and possess the land which you cross over to possess. So again, again, keep my commandment. You've seen all these things, so keep my commandment. And in doing that, you're going to be strong. You want to walk in strength? Walk in God's word. Again, obedience brings strength. Sin, it brings a weak walk. God does not empower rebellion. And then he says, go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess. Again, obedience opens doors. Sin closes them. That you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them, their descendants, a land flowing with milk, and honey, obedience, again, brings forth fruit. Obedience brings life. It prolongs days into all of eternity. Sin brings death. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt, which you have come where you have come, where you sowed your seed and water it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. So he's saying, listen, you're coming from a place that, you know, it is like a vegetable garden that they had to water by hand. You're going into the place that God watches over, that God waters with rain from heaven. And really, you know, think about our lives before Christ. It was like watering a vegetable garden. Now you come to Christ and God wants to water your soul himself and he looks over the land of your heart he's even speaking here about israel itself which again god still cares for and god still watches over i'll tell you what the nations of this world better be careful with what they do with her verse 13 and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments which i command you today 
to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. Then I will give you rain for your land in its seasons, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. I mean, notice the pattern. Again, obey my commands, love the Lord. They go hand in hand over and over and over again. Again, even the Lord said the commandments hang on these, you know, all the commandments hang on these two things. Love the Lord your God, the heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And people say, people think, well, that means if I just feel like I got a love for God and, and my neighbor that I'm loving God. No, the commandments hang that. Love the Lord. It means have no other God before him. You're loving the Lord. Don't blaspheme God. You're loving the Lord. Don't make idols. You're loving the Lord. Honor the Sabbath, you're loving the Lord. Again, the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ today. Rest in Jesus, you're loving the Lord. Love the neighbor as yourself. Again, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't covet. Honor your father, your mother. You're doing that, you're loving your neighbor, and in that, you're loving the Lord. They go hand in hand. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my what? Commandments. And in all of it, he says that it will go well with you. And for them, he says, do this, and I'm going to water the land. And I'm going to water it early, and I'm going to water it later. I'm going to bring that crop to its full fruition. Sadly, there would be so many times when they wouldn't honor God. And this land would be drought-stricken because of their rebellion. And eventually, they'd even go into captivity because of it. I know this, though, in the Lord. I, I want, you know, when I came to Christ, and I got the early rains, and I, I don't know when I'm going home, but I want the latter rains too. I don't want to be that place where it's just like, well, we got those early rains, so that was all good. No, I want the latter rains, the latter rains that found, found, come from walking with the Lord. And, and I don't know, I, 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 I don't know anyone's heart, but I look around and I see a lot of Christians that seem to be parched in their walk with the Lord. They seem to be all dried up. And uh, they're, 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 there's, there's not an abundance of, torrents of living water you don't see an abundant of fruit in their life you, you you don't see them you know walking in in the call of god on their life and it's almost like you know what they're they're not even yearning for those latter rains i pray that we'd have a heart for that i, I want it and uh i'm asking god for that for myself verse 16 take heed to yourself Lest your hearts be deceived and you turn aside to serve other gods and worship them. So again, he's saying, be real with yourself. Take heed to yourself. Who are you walking with? Who's your God? Lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving to you. So take heed to yourself because listen, if you don't keep short accounts and cut off these other gods, the latter rain's not gonna come God's going to chasten you. This is about the fear of God. If they really feared God, they would take that to heart. They say, oh man, don't go worship Moloch. Don't go worship Baal. Get away from those Asherah poles. Boy, yeah, that will be pleasurable. And those pagan, listen, those pagan get-togethers were, were uh, you know, a, a great expression of debauchery. The flesh would be lured into that. But listen, the latter rains aren't going to come. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he's going to reap. Are we going to listen to God? Are we going to walk by faith? 
Are we going to let our flesh lure us into these things? And he's saying, listen, don't, don't take heed to yourself. Don't be deceived. You think you're going to walk in that and still get the latter rains? It ain't going to happen. God's going to chasten you. The, the ground's going to get parched. Verse 18, therefore, you should lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and these shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So again, take this and lay it up in your heart. And, and to lay it in your heart, you got to, again, pick it up and put it in there to start with. And then he says, verse 19, you shall teach them to your children, speaking to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heaven above the earth. So again, he talked about you've been given this word. Now you need to teach it to your kids. When you sit down, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up, it's a picture of ongoing discipleship with them, wanting to bring the Lord into all aspects of the home. Verse 22, he says, for if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and hold fast to him. And again, I should have counted up how many times just in these two chapters, you know, follow the commands, love the Lord. It's over and over. It's almost in every section we read here. Then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you and will dispose greater and mightier nations than yourselves every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours from the wilderness of lebanon uh, from the river the river euphrates even to the western sea shall be your territory and no man shall be able to stand against you for the lord your god notice here will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the land where you tread just as he said to you so god says listen obey me and i will go before you I will drive out the enemy, and I will put a dread upon the enemy concerning you. I wrote in my notes, how many Christians does Satan dread today? How many of them does he dread? I read about the church of Laodicea in Revelation. Most people believe it's the end time church. I don't think Satan's dreading anybody in that church. Heck, Jesus is outside the door of that church knocking wine to get in. And then they're saying, we're rich and all this stuff. And God, he says, you're naked and you're poor, you're blind, you're miserable. Satan doesn't dread that. He uses that for his advantage. I mean, it's important we don't get weird with this. And, you know, I, you know what, I'm hell's most wanted. Be careful with that kind of stuff. But I think we can step back and we would be wise to go before the Lord and assess our life and ask the question, does Satan dread me? Does he dread me? Does he dread my prayer closet? Does he dread my witness? Does he dread my Bible study, my life? Because again, he, the, the enemy would dread them because they're representing the Lord. They're coming empowered. It's like, oh no, here they come. We're gonna get worked over. Remember the Jack Chick tracks? I've like read all of those, but there are some, there's some, and I think he did, we, we have some of those out there that, you know, for evangelism. And there's, there's hundreds of those things that that guy wrote. He went to be with the Lord a few years back. But I love it because I think that guy did a phenomenal job 
painting a picture of spiritual warfare for this generation, if you've ever read those, where he depicts it in cartoon fashion and so forth. And there's several of them where he'll have that guy who's the man of God, who's walking with his Bible and so forth, and then the demons are like, oh no, here he comes. We hate that guy. They're dreading him. Oh, he's going to bring the gospel. Oh, try to get his attention. No, no, oh. And I think he's spot on in that. And again, it's nothing in us. It's the Lord in us, right? Amen? But is there any dreading at all? Or is it even like, I, I think there, there's sometimes when some Christians show up, Satan's like, oh boy, I'm glad this guy's here. Because of the way they behave and the things they promote and so forth. I think it's a fair question for us to ask ourselves. Ask the Lord to give us insight concerning. Does my walk with the Lord make the enemy's knee, knees buckle at all? Or is it something like, fear nothing? And again, it's not us, it's the Lord in us. Amen. But the Bible says if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Boy, if you're drawn near to God, I guarantee you Satan's going to dread you. Last thing he wants is some Christian that's near to God, that's a man or woman of prayer filled with the Spirit and, and a, a Bible-toting, quoting person who has compassion and love and boldness. The last thing he wants is that guy or gal around anybody. He dreads that. Aren't we called soldiers in the Bible? I mean, shouldn't, shul, shouldn't shul, shul, uh, soldiers, I'm running out of time, put a dread in the enemy? Verse 26, and we'll just close it out here. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments, the Lord your God, but turn aside uh, from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. And it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing of Mount Gerizim and the curse of Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan towards the setting sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite of Gilgal besides the terebinth trees of Morah? For, for you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which your Lord your God is giving you and you will possess it and dwell in it and you shall be careful to observe the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. That's what he speaks about, again, a blessing and a curse. An area blessed and an area cursed. And he says, if you obey me, there's going to be blessings. But if you want to disobey, there's going to be cursings. There's going to be chastenings. There's going to be corrections. That hasn't changed this day. Again, this is not talking about our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are blessed in that. But do you want to walk in those blessings? You want to walk the fullness of the Lord? Then get near to him. Those things you're struggling with, bring them before him. He knows we're but flesh. But if you want to rebel, you want to make provision for the flesh, there isn't going to be latter rain and there shouldn't be an, expection, uh, uh, an expectation of it. There's going to be correction. And if there's not correction, then you even got bigger problems because you might not be his because he always corrects his own. Lord God, we thank you, Lord. And God, we need your help in this, Lord. What can we do without you? Nothing. 
Lord, I would hope and pray we'd be found a people that want to walk with you, that want to abound in you, Lord. God, a people that would be absolutely, Lord, walking in those latter reigns. God, a people that, God, are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, there's things even tonight that we need to lay down before you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in doing that and giving us the faith to do that. And Lord, let us be washed by this word we looked at tonight and encouraging you in it, God. And Lord God, I know that, Lord, your word tells us very clear that there is no partiality with you. We read it tonight and it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I would hope and pray, Lord, that tonight any that haven't called on you, that they would. They come to that place of confessing sin and asking Christ for forgiveness and putting their hope in you. And Lord, I know you meet them right where they are, God. Bless the rest of our night. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.